With the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to $1,500 if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus. Bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. I am excited to be with you today. My name is Jed Mashu. I am a writer for MMAfighting.com. It's the greatest website in the world. If you haven't checked it out, get on board, join the, join the party. And the reason I am so excited today is because we are finally bringing to you a project I've been working on for a really long time. Damn, they were good. Now, if the name doesn't give it away, this podcast is about remembering and reliving the careers of, of some of the best, some of the most fun, the most violent, the most exciting, our favorite fighters of all time. And so for our inaugural episode, I, I want to talk about possibly the most violent fighter, the greatest action fighter of all time, and also possibly my favorite fighter ever, Mr. Carlos Condit. So uh, the way we're going to do this is we're going to have some categories to to break things down. Uh, and sort of remember the career of Mr. Condit. But before we do so, I need to introduce you to my co-hosts on this maiden voyage. Two gentlemen who also work with me at that esteemed website, MMAfighting.com. Mr. Sean Alshadi and Mr. Alexander K. Lee. Fellas, how are we feeling? Hello. Look at this. Doing great. I, thank you for having us on. I'm really excited because as you said, you, you mentioned it already. Carlos Condit, one of your favorites. Also one of my favorites. All-time great. Also kind of underrated, like sneaky underrated at this point in, in, in the timeline of MMA, right? Like I feel like a lot of fans sort of came on much later in the Carlos Condit game where they don't really understand what this guy was about for so long. So I'm excited to deep dive this, man. I am really excited. And I I uh, thank you guys for, for joining me here. This has been a project, not just for Carlos Condit, but just kind of this project in general is something I have been wanting to do for a while. And 
I I felt like Condit was maybe the best place to start because of what you said, Sean. I think he is one of, if not like maybe he's not the greatest action fighter of all time, but he is certainly up there. And I feel like especially if you came into the sport recently, or even if you were one of the Conor McGregor fans who came in, you know, around around Conor's rise, you didn't get to see everything about Carlos Condit that that made that made me fall in love with him and that made kind of a lot of people of our generation fall in love with him. So I am extremely excited to uh to get into this. This is Jed, this is important. This is an this is an important project you're doing. <laughs> because I, I don't want to jump the gun, but I will say kind of what Shaheen was saying this is the kind of thing like year like you know 10 years 20 years from now newer fans will just kind of just like look at his record and just be like oh this guy was okay they're like oh he was like whatever he 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 did this and you know the UFC he was he was fine he, he had a a barely above 500 record I guess at the end of the day in the UFC something like that that's what they're going to look at and they're not going to realize how magnificent Carlos Condit's career actually was so this is this is we are we are preserving something essential here I feel so well done, I think, for putting this project together. Wow. Coming with the positivity vibes yeah. early. That's why we brought you, AK, is we... Yeah. Look, there's only one way to approach the career of Carlos Condit, and it's with nothing but positive vibes, because this man gave us a lot of, of great action. Uh, so Also, to, if I if I can't add... Yeah. Very, very handsome man. Like, like top five on most handsome lists, if wow. you're just throwing out there of all time for I, MMA. I'm just saying. I That's love this. Other. I think you're dead on. I think you're all 100% time? correct. He's got the ruggedness, dude. He you know, is you got, you got the, There's two types handsome. of handsome, right? There's, uh, the, there's the rock hold model handsome, and then there's just the rugged, manly man handsome, which is what Carlos Conas embodies. There, I don't want to spoil anything. There, I think there's a section of this podcast where we'll be able to discuss that further. There is, in okay. fact. I'll tease it. I'll tease it. You can tease it as well. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna get into some categories later okay. on. But one of those categories, I uh, I compare Carlos Condit to a couple of very handsome folk. So we can absolutely get in because okay. I think Sean is. I think he's nailed it. Uh, Top I, five all time. I mean. Look, I if you want to go with his early career before he had like the rugged beard, okay, maybe not as handsome of an individual. Boyish, but yeah, a lot more boyish. Especially uh, he had a couple like fights around. I don't know, it was like early twenties when he had almost a buzzed head. Short, not a great look for him. But once he really got into the meat of his WEC and UFC run, that you're not going to find a lot of men that can stand across from him on a poster and come out looking better. That's all I'm saying. What have I done? <laughs> what have I... You did exactly what I brought you here for. <laughs> I did not want us to talk about the fighter as a fighter. I want to talk about all the other ridiculous stuff. So, uh, but to get us started, let's at least remember the nuts and bolts of his career. I'm going to run through a very brief recap of, of what Carlos Condit's career was. So he made his pro debut at the age of 20, of 18 in 2002, quickly put together a 13-2 record. But the thing that kind of put him on the map was in 06, he was part of the Rumble on the Rock welterweight tournament. For those who don't know, that tournament is kind of one of those mythologized uh, tournaments in MMA history, featured a who's who of people, uh, Dave Manet, Yushino Kami, Jake Shields, Frank Trigg, and a little guy who we'll probably talk about on this podcast one day, by the name of Anderson Silva, all all in that that was one welterweight tournament. Uh, Condit was twenty one, relatively unknown. 
made a name for himself. Stopped Hanato Verissimo and Frank Trigg, uh, made it to the finals where he lost to Jake Shields, but that kind of put him on the map. And from there, he was off and running. He signed with the WEC. He won their welterweight title, defended it three times. And then the UFC folded the WEC into their own organization. He made the jump to the UFC. Uh, and from there, uh, he had a, a quick setback early, lost to Martin Campman, but put together four wins in a row and earned himself an interim title shot against Nick Diaz at UFC 143. That fight has gone on to be one of the more contentious, unanimous decisions in history. Diaz won two five, if you've ever heard that phrase. Uh, but Condit won the fight, won a belt, got the chance to fight George St. Pierre for the undisputed title. He, of course, lost to GSP, but as we're going to talk about much later, I'm sure, gave GSP one of the biggest scares of his entire career with the head kick in the third round. After that, uh, up and down, one, two, lost two, but found himself in another title fight, this time against Robbie Lawler at UFC 195. If I could, I'd spend the whole the whole podcast talking about that. It's my favorite fight of all time. <laughs> um, but he lost a split decision to Lawler. And then that's basically the end of his, his career as far as uh, the happy parts of myself are concerned. He lost five fights in a row, uh, managed, took some time off, came back, won two, then lost to Max Griffin at UFC 264 last year and retired a few months later. So his overall MMA career is 31 and 14, 15 KOs, 13 subs, and four decisions. Uh, he won five fight of the night bonuses and two knockout of the night bonuses in the UFC. And as mentioned, his 2016 fight against Robbie Lawler was the fight of the year. So that's, that is Carlos Condit uh, by the numbers and in a nutshell. And now that we've kind of run that down, AK, I want to start with you. What's sort of your relationship to Carlos Condit? Do you... Kind of, what does he mean to you as a fighter? Uh, is he one of your favorites? You know, I know Sean's already said that, but kind of, how do you how do you feel about Carlos Condit, the fighter? I mean, you know, I use the word important at the beginning of uh, the sort of chat we're having here, and I think a lot of fans would would use that word to describe. In addition, to, of course, being ridiculously entertaining. But for me, for someone who was, I always say I was a bit of a late bloomer. When it comes to MMA fandom, I probably came in during that boom period of the uh, the mid two thousands. You know, GSP and, and Anderson Silva when, when they were dominating, and it was uh, Brock Lesnar had had come in, which was a big draw for someone like myself, who was traditionally a professional wrestling fan. So anyway, so during that period, and during that time, Condit was still in the WEC. But you know, when you're a fan and you're trying to learn more and you're insatiable, you know, when you first get into MMA. Then you're like, oh, I want to see other organizations that, you know, whatever is accessible, I want to get in there. And of course, WC was one of them. And at first it was confusing because they had their own welterweight champion. And I understood that they were owned by, uh, you know, the same parent companies UFC. So that was confusing to me at first, but also kind of exciting. And also that that um, part of you that wants to like be a hardcore fan, you're kind of like, OK, I want to learn more about this guy. Uh, it's, it's like it's almost like getting into like an indie band. You know what I mean? Like if I if I like Carlos Condit, does that make me cool? Does that make me? Can I? Can I now it, converse with the hardcores? It um, does. Just so well, we're clear, like right. Carlos Condit, in fact, <laughs> does make you cool. Makes and, you a more handsome man and a much oh, cooler person. God, I hope so. Yes, and cer certainly at the time there was an element of like you know uh, you didn't have to be hardcore to be in WC, but it was like another layer beyond just casual. You know, if you were watching WC and kind of like keeping up with it. So it was it was it was interesting to me, and I and I didn't understand why they had to, why UFC uh, their parent company would have two promotions with different champions. Was it like a minor league? But it wasn't really. And then they had featherweights and bantamweights. Anyway. So he kind of helped open up that door, certainly, to a whole other avenue of of, uh, of fandom. And then there's that part where, like, you know, he's just so fun to watch. And you just get a, you got the kind of the strong idea of 
and I'm a huge GSP fan, but that there's fighters like GSP who win fights a certain way, and there's fighters like Carlos Connor who win fights a certain way, and you learn to appreciate, and you learn to appreciate both. I, I think most fans learn to appreciate both, but it's important to have the GSPs, and it's important to have the Condits. Uh, and uh, and it was so great when Condit finally made it to the UFC, and uh, and proved that he could have been there all along. That the three letters next to your name don't determine what you know how great a fighter you are. And uh, boy, his first run through uh, through the UFC was just uh, the first part of his run. I'd say was was so thrilling, as thrilling as as, as uh, much of what had come before. Yeah, man, it's uh, I I like you. I came to Condit. Uh, I did obviously wasn't uh, deep enough in the game to be a fan during the rumble and the rock run. Like, I think I maybe had just found like the forums online right around that time, but I wasn't deep into it, but you know, got into the UFC, figured out the WEC. And I remember the first fight I saw uh, of Carlos Condit's, it was his welterweight title defense against Brock Larson. Cause I, I don't think I saw the John Alessio title win. Uh, at least I don't remember it, but I distinctly remember watching the Brock, Brock Larson fight and, Frank Mir's on commentary and, you know, one, we forget how good Frank Mir was as a commentator. <laughs> like kind of when I was going back and watching, I kind of missed some of Frank Mir and being like, oh, he's really good at this. Uh, and just the way Condit pulled off that arm bar against a guy that, you know, I didn't know anything, but they, they convinced me that Brock Larson was very good at fighting. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, look at this guy. This guy's awesome. Uh, so like it, he, he really resonated with me and then following his career through the UFC, was the same. Sean, kind of, what, what was your first exposure, I, I guess, to Condit? Were you were, were you deep in the WEC game before, you know, before AK and I, or did you also come to it kind of in the middle? Man, first exposure, that's a good question. I don't know. I'd have to think back quite a bit. I don't know that I can pinpoint first time I ever saw him. It probably was WEC. But for me, I mean, just in terms of the relationship with Carlos and, and like how you think about him and the ways we've thought about him over the years, to me, AK hit the nail on the head when he was talking about the way Carlos fights, right? And the way that he fought, in particular during his peak years, and the way that he approached this game generally. Because at one point, I mean, even now, like you look at his record, there is there are a few nicknames that more accurately reflect upon the athlete than this guy's nickname right the natural born killer like obviously that movie came out at a certain time in a certain era in the culture and carlos condit like you couldn't pick a more accurate fighter to apply that nickname to because you even look at it now even with the way that the, his career ended with all those losses and, and you know even the a couple of the wins were just decisions 32 wins only four decisions but if you really if you if you lop off that like last chapter right 30 wins, two decisions. That alone is unbelievable. Like we do not see levels of finishing of, of that level of consistency just generally historically throughout the MMA space. If you look at the people in this weight class, like heavyweight is one thing. You get a lot of knockouts at heavyweight, but for a welterweight, a career welterweight to have that level of finishing throughout his entire career, that's one thing. But then you just look at the list and you look at the names. The, li the, the list of names that Carlos Condit fought from 2009 to 2018, so about an eight-year, nine-year stretch, there is not a single bad name on that list. And in fact, most of them are incredible names, starting with the moment he debuted in the UFC against Martin Campman and ending wherever you want to end it, probably in that Michael Chiesa run. 
uh, of that again when he was slumping. You're looking at murderer after murderer after murderer. I could sit here and run through it all really quick and it would just blow people away. And I, Martin Kamen, Jake Allenberger, Roy McDonald, Dan Hardy, Dong Young King, Kim, Nick Diaz, George St. Pierre, Johnny Hendricks, Martin Kamen again, Tyron Woodley, Tiago Alves, Robbie Lawler, Damian Maya, Neil Magny, Alex Oliveira, Michael Chiesa. Like, dude, as an unreal list. Like just consistently famous. <laughs> Dude, for for a decade straight. And so just the level of consistency, like peak Carlos Condit is an all-violence first-teamer for the entirety of MMA for me. And, you know, I, I NBA, I, I always like to use this comparison because, like, NBA, obviously, we have all NBA teams. Five people make the team. For me, Carlos would make one of those five. And that might that that is such a high bar to reach, like, historically, to be able to get to that place. And I think a lot of people would maybe put him on second team or third team. I, I know I have a soft spot in my heart, but just the fact that he's even in that conversation is incredible for, again, a career welterweight where there's a lot of wrestlers at welterweight, always historically, even started with Matt Hughes going down the line. Uh, it's just a very grindy division, and you don't find guys like Carlos who are able to achieve this level of success for so long. And so there's that aspect of it. But then also a secondary aspect of it to me where when you look at the kind of career that Carlos had, it's in a strange way, it's the kind of career that couldn't happen these days, happen again, at least in the way that it happened, right? Because for so long, this is a guy who was this hardcore's delight. He was this controlled, visceral violence for the first six years of his career, and he is totally hidden away. He, he's bouncing around on these smaller shows, fighting real guys, like fighting real legitimate competition on these guys. But and, and like you said, the Rumble on the Rock, competing in tournaments like Rumble on the Rock, winning the WEC title, finishing everybody, kill or be killed. But like you, if that happens today, first of all, there are no comparisons to like a Rumble on the Rock type of tournament because that's just like that level of talent does not exist outside of the UFC, outside of Bellator, that type of thing. Like that, you couldn't put together that collection of names. So that alone is a, is a memory of that time. But if something like that happens today, and let's say they figure out how to do it and get that kind of talent, and this just absolute kid, total kid, just comes out of nowhere and stops two very, very established fighters to land in the finals, we know about it instantly. Like he would be a big time person and everybody would be talking to him. There'd be tons of interviews with him and the UFC would have snapped him up quickly. Like Carlos still existed in anonymity for a while after that. Like it's just not the type of career that we see these days. And that to me is a very cool reflection on sort of where MMA was in that era and how, you know, this was all like all of us weirdos just following this. <laughs> we're trying to, like you said, find the forums, find the tapes, all of it. Like it's such a moment in time that it's just never coming back. And that, I, I guess, again, has such a soft spot in my heart for it. Oh, yeah, man. For sure plays in the nostalgia strings really hard. I do want to touch on everything you said, but specifically, look, his I, I forget whatever the number was, 30 and 2 or however we we broke that 30 down. And two. 30 and 30, 2. 30 wins, only two decisions at one point in his career. Okay, so again... I, there were a couple of things that like honestly just shocked me going back and like doing the doing the research. One, he's not old, which is su like he's 37, which is not an old man, but it feels like he should be 50 because we got so much of him and and he fought so hard. But 
if you go back, he made his debut, like I said earlier, 18 years old. One, incredible. His mom, like, you go, well, there's a story. His mom didn't want to do it. He made his debut in, in Juarez. He went across the border at 18 to get into a fist fight against the will of his mother because that's just the kind of dude the natural-born killer was. Um, but his first 17 fights, one, he had 17 fights in four years, which is a thing that doesn't happen. His first 17 fights... All of them finished in the first round. like, And that's not against a bunch of bums. Obviously, there are some people there you don't know. But mixed in, there are some good fighters. And he did not see a second round until his 18th professional fight, the one against Jake Shields on the Rock. Of course it's Jake Shields. That's oh, yeah. Decision, of course. Take, uh, not a great decision either. I mean, the, the true winner, but... Not a great fight. It's a very Jake Shieldsy fight. So it's uh he is just he's the definition of a get or get got fighter, and he got a lot more he he got them a lot more than they got him. So he was he was awesome, and that's why I'm so excited to talk about him. Uh and we all we all know submission's not a real loss either. Like you tap out, that's not a real loss, you know. <laughs> that's, you know? Come on, someone jujitsu's you, it's whatever. It's like, oh, you're gonna you're gonna tear, you, tear, you know, tear a ligament. Like that's not a that's not losing a fight. I mean Chael, well, one, I would expect nothing less from a man who wants to keep the martial arts apart. Uh, yeah. Hashtag keep the hashtag, martial arts apart. Keep the martial arts apart, yep. And Chael Sonnen once told me that uh that just means you lose the round. So yeah, yeah so it's fine. <laughs> it's, it's entirely okay to lose. It's fine. We're this close to crowning an NBA champ. And with the action heating up on the court, it's even hotter at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet, up to 1500 bucks if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire. 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. 
That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N dot com. Atlassian. Um, great. Well, let's, uh, we have got some categories to talk about. So every, every episode we are going to contextualize the fighters that we are talking about with categories based around their career, kind of remembering some of our favorite things, some favorite aspects. And the first one we're going to start with is, I I think it's the one we're going to spend the most time on because I had a really hard time figuring out my four here. It's the Mount Rushmore of their fights. It's tough with this guy, man. It's really tough. So everyone knows Mount Rushmore. You pick your four, the four best, however your definition is, what you want to set them up there. Uh, with Condon, I think you have a half dozen, maybe even like a dozen just out of the gate that you could go with. For me, and I've got some honorable mentions, but I want to hear y'all's first. But for me, I I went like this. Uh, WEC 35 against Hiromitsu Miura. Uh, I think you got to have a WEC fight in there. And that fight is, I don't know if y'all have watched it recently. And if you're listening to this and have never watched it, it's on Fight Pass. It is four rounds of... Of mixing the martial arts. I'm sure AK yes. hated it. No, th- listen. Th- th- <laughs> if you're going to mix the martial arts, at least do it at the highest level. And that's the, like, that fight is an example of the, the art, martial arts being mixed in, in a highly professional way. It, it's awesome. And it's, it's his last fight in the WEC. Right. And Miura was a guy, I remember at the time, Miura was a guy that nobody was really all that uh, into. I think he had been a, a middleweight for portions of his career, but he went hammer and tongs with Condit for four four rounds. It was awesome. He's judo throwing Condit. He's like, he's nasty. Miro's nasty. Dude, it was it was awesome. That fight, I forgot how good that fight was until I rewatched he's, it for this. Nasty. So that fight is definitely kicking off. Uh, I the other fight, I think this fight is on. It's on everyone's. I assume UFC 195 against Robbie Lawler. I, Absolutely. It's, yeah. If it's not on your Mount Rushmore uh, <laughs> of of Carlos Condit, you're insane. And frankly, if it's not on your Mount Rushmore of of fights, I think you're insane. To me, it is the best fight that is. I, I'm gonna come out hot take. It's the best fight of all time. Agree. Ooh, AK. It's my favorite fight. It's my favorite fight. <sighs> I've AKA, watched it many. It's so good. I knew I loved you for a reason, yeah. and this is it. We disagree on a lot of things, but so, but at the core of it, we arrive at the same the same place. Sean, are you are you standing for Robbie against? You're it doing pains it pains me because I don't I don't want to talk noise on this fight because it's one of my favorite fights I've ever seen. It's the biggest robbery. It's maybe not the biggest robbery, but it's the second biggest robbery I've ever seen in my mind. Uh, it's maybe the most impactful Ooh, robbery saucy. I've ever seen. Um, yeah, I mean the, the historical impact of what that would have meant for him had it actually been scored correctly, like that it really upsets me still, even all these years later. Uh, but as great as that fight is, and it again, it's so good. I can't put it above Lawler McDonald too. And so that's just a hard barrier for me to reach. Part of it was me being there for Lawler McDonald too, and that's sort of being part of what in my mind was the greatest night of MMA that I've ever seen in my life, uh, at UFC one eighty nine. But I, I can't put it at greatest fight ever, but it's definitely in the conversation. Like I'm not going to get mad at anybody for that. When I was uh, when I was at the score and I was doing a top ten all time list, I actually cheated and I made them one A and one B. I put both. <laughs> I, 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 I yeah, you can find that's out there. It's out there on the internet. What also, was one A? Huh? What was one A? No, the Lawler Lawler Condit and then Lawler McDonald's were the gotcha. were one A and one. Oh, which one was? I have no idea which one was one A. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Man, I mean, we're going to get to this guy at some point in the life of this podcast, but what does it say about Robbie Lawler that the two greatest oh, fights dude. of all time on most people's lists, like you're going to find some people who disagree, but 
I think that those two fights are are at the top of a lot of people's lists of greatest fights ever. Yeah, all I'm saying is when you do the Robbie Lawler episode, because it's going to happen at some point, you need to come bring me on. Yeah, because I got thoughts. <laughs> you got, we're going to have a lot of thoughts about Robbie Lawler, but this this is a podcast to celebrate Carlos Condit. So I've got Miura, I've got Lawler, UFC 195. Uh, I went for the Dan Hardy fight at UFC 120. Um, um, interesting. I think it's not, it's obviously not a, a complete showing. It's a first round KO, but I think it's one, people forget this and everybody, the way their careers diverged after the fact, people think that Condit was, uh, obviously he would have killed Dan Hardy. He was like a decent sized underdog. I, Hardy was like a minus 200, minus 250 favorite coming into that fight. It was in London, so Hardy had the hometown crowd. And if you rewatch it, the commentary is all, this was Hardy coming off his title fight against GSP where he got blanked five rounds, nothing, but everybody was so impressed that Hardy survived against GSP. So his stock was maybe never higher than at that very moment. And uh, Carlos Condit, killed him <laughs> just absolutely knocked him out silenced the crowd uh i think it's maybe his best single highlight and so that's going to make the, the mount rushmore for me and then well, real quick if i can oh, yeah. jump in shoot one of my favorite parts about carlos in general is something that you just sort of alluded to there which is for so long early in his ufc career and pre that as well no one believed in him like he Not was the all. underdog going into so many of these fights, like a lot of the WEC fights, just throughout it, for some reason, it took everyone so long to believe in Carlos Condit and get on board with Carlos Condit. Because you say that now, like Dan Hardy was like a sizable favor over Carlos. And that feels insane. That feels certifiably insane with what we know now, with Pete Carlos Condit. But that was the reality for so long. So like that, this dude was just coming into these fights with a chip on his shoulder. He was acutely aware of the fact that no one was picking him, no one believed in him, everyone felt like, oh, he's not good enough for UFC material, that type of thing. That lasted so long, and it's just such a weird tidbit when it comes to this guy. Well, he had a weird start to his UFC career, though. I'm, I'm looking back on it now. So he had the, the first Campman fight, which he probably should have won. Split decision went against him. Then yeah. he had the Ellenberger fight, which he won. That split decision, but that was the other way. You could have made a case that Ellenberger should have won that fight. And then he has a fight with Rory where he's getting dominated for, what, almost the entire fight and then has a comeback. Until so, the last, so like the last 10 seconds. Yeah. yeah, so there was reasons to kind of doubt whether he would be a, you know, top contender in the UFC. And that's kind of, I can, I can see why yeah. going to the Dan Hardy fight, he'd be such an underdog. But it's funny. Yeah, very weird start to his UFC uh, run. Plus the, the Miura win. I mean, again, Miura, nobody thought much of Miura at the time. And so when Miura, a guy who nobody knew, gave, went hammer and tongs with him, mm -hmm. like he, even coming into the UFC, they were shine on him because he was the WEC champion and never lost, and he was a fun fighter, but there were real questions about where he could go. Um, and so, yeah, I, it's, it is super weird to look back, though, and think that Dan Hardy was a minus 250 favorite <laughs> over Carlos <laughs> Condit. Like, that's, that's absolutely insane for me to think of. And then the last spot is where I really struggled because I wanted to get a hardy. I, I wanted to get a, a big time highlight KO finish. I think you could have gone with a lot. I, I, like I said, I went with the hardy one. I ultimately, I can't, I can't in my soul put the Nick Diaz UFC 143 fight on there. I assume no, one of yeah, you, you gentlemen can. will have. I, I didn't. I, we, we're going to have to talk about that fight. But for me, even though it's a loss, 
it's uh, I went for the George St. Pierre fight at UFC 154, even though it is a loss. It's a loss where he arguably lost all five rounds. I think he lost four of them. Um, it, that fight was more fun than I think people remember it. I think they mostly remember it as George doing a lot of lay and pray. And there's some some of that. But outside of the round three, you know, kick where that almost upset the world, uh, the rest of that fight is still competitive to an extent. Condit is still fighting. He's working good. They are both bleeding like stuck pigs just all over the cage. And so I think I went with that one because it's, we're going to talk about this a little bit later. I think it's one of the, one of the high points of his career. And I think it just sort of shows even in defeat, kind of a lot of good things about Condit. I've got a couple of, uh, of honorable mentions, but I want to, I want to see where you guys are in your Mount Rushmore's. Well, let me go first here because our, our lists are pretty similar. Okay. Uh, I had, and another thing that's funny, we had two, we both had two Condit losses because I had the So longer. I was going to say that. To yeah. me, that's very interesting right? that well, you the, had two losses out of the four spots. Because, <laughs> I yeah. refuse I actually debated, to believe Lawler is a loss. I refuse. <laughs> fair. This is true. But this that's is true. fair. But I, I debated putting the GSP one on my list. Uh-huh. But then I just couldn't because I'm already putting the Lawler there. It's like I can't yeah. give him two losses out of this four is, with it this is, Mount Rushmore. It does DSP seem weird. was the one that almost that almost didn't make it because I was going to go with a couple of real deep cuts, but we'll talk about the. It felt better as honorable mentions. Well, so I, like I said, I went with Lawler. I went with GSP. I went with Miura again. Like I said, it's such an important fight because it was his last fight before going to the UFC. So it's mm-hmm. it's this end of this one very important chapter in Carlos Condit's career. It's just a banger. <laughs> It's just a. It is a really amazing fight. Like it's it's super competitive, and it's not like an end in some highlight. The only thing it's missing is a kind of like a highlight, highlight, real flashy ending. Like kind yeah. of just kind of outlasts him and kind of just like pounds yeah. him out. But but that's also part of the drama of it. There's like this war of attrition to it. So really really beautiful fight. Definitely one that people have to see. Um, uh, the other one. So then I went fourth on the list. Well, I'll tell you, I had a little help from an article uh, written by a young man named Shaheen Al Shadi. Uh, there's an article. I would recommend people look it up. This was written really just like. Eight months ago, not that long ago, like eight months ago, I think like last summer, called maybe like uh, July. Yeah, my that favorite. That would have been his his final fight. Uh, this young man sat down with Carlos Condit and and talked to talk about my favorite fights. Carlos Condit breaks down the five fights that most shaped his uh, career, and one of them really jumped out at me. And I want and uh, I'm kind of like you, Chad. Like I said, our lists were so similar. I want to have like one kind of cool knockout on there, so I went with the uh, Hanato Verissimo fight. Um, Ooh, that, he, that's on my list as well. Good 17 stuff, second finish of a guy who had just re- who had just fought for the UFC title. Uh, we kind of see these things happen now these days. Like a, a person will leave the Did UFC. He? And I didn't think he fought for the title. I he thought had he fought. Matt I thought Hughes. he. Yeah, but Matt Hughes wasn't a champion because Matt Hughes had just lost the belt to BJ Penn. He, he didn't fight for the title, but he oh, was regarded he fought, as one yeah. of the better better oh, guys. Okay. In the world. And Hugh, Hughes was the de facto welterweight champion because BJ was gone. Like but he, he never, just hadn't done it. He never fought for the title, though. No, oh, I don't I'm, so, thinking, I'm thinking of Gil Castillo for some reason. You okay, are. That was weird. Okay, that is weird. Okay, <laughs> but he did. He did fight that Matt bizarre. Hughes right after Hughes lost okay. to BJ Penn, but BJ had left the UFC, so it was in that sort of weird oh, okay. interim spot. And some people thought he won, that he beat Matt Hughes. But uh, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, I just had to put that on there because it's such a cool story about Carlos arguably being one of the lesser known, not arguably, sorry, being one of the lesser regarded names in this tournament. And then just coming out and taking out a big gun, a UFC guy. And that was such a big deal back then when, oh, a UFC guy goes, like, gets beaten outside of the UFC. It's like, oh, my gosh. Like, that happens all the time now just because there's so many former UFC fighters. But, um, yeah, I mean, 17 seconds. <laughs> Clips him with a knee. I believe uh, grounded knees were legal because he's just he's just drilling them. <laughs> he's drilling them after he knocks them down. <laughs> there are no sure rules that... on the rock. 
I'm pretty sure they're not to the body. I'm pretty sure he's Australian to the head. And Verissimo is just completely out of it after. Like, there's no argument with the stoppage. Verissimo is just like, is just like looking up like, what the hell happened to me? Probably in his mind, thanking the ref for saving him. So, um, but yeah, I think I, I think that's a cool one on there. And, and just to defend the two defeats, like I said, I think these these losses kind of, and, and there's going to be a theme throughout, like define why he's one of these fighters that needs to be spotlighted because the losses just do not tell the story. And and they're important to have on his Mount Rushmore because you have to watch the fights to really appreciate it. Again, the Lawler fight, as Shaheen has been saying, really feels like he won. A lot of people would agree. I also scored for Condit. I don't consider it a robbery, but I did score for Condit. And GSP, GSP, I mean, that knockdown, people remember, this was uh, GSP peak, like, I don't get hurt. I fight not to get hurt. Uh, ever since people always say the Sarah fight changed everything for him. You know, he got that one flash knockout completely changed his career and his fighting style. And there's definitely some truth to that. Um, he definitely emphasized control and defense over, you know, uh, aggression. And that's fine. And, that's, and there's nothing wrong with that. His fights, I think, are still marvelous to watch. But up to that point, I mean, the Jake Shields fight was a fight before that where nobody hurt anybody. It's a horrible fight. Uh, Josh Koscheck was when he introduced the jab, just completely smoked him. Dan Hardy, classic GSP. Just so those are three fights before Condit. So there was a lot of thinking that well, Condit's going to be the next guy to get GSP to get 50-45. Especially because he can't wrestle. The man can't wrestle. His his big he might be deadly off his back, but his huge weakness is quite easy to take down. Quite easy to take down. And of course, uh, GSP at that time, the master of the MMA takedown. So when he lands that head kick. Boy, I mean, there's just imagine if there was like an an overeager referee that decided we were one like overeager referee close. away. It was really close, it was right? Really close. I, I, I Honestly, like, if that fight isn't in Montreal, <laughs> I think there's a chance that somebody just gets a little too excited and is like, I, "Nope, it's done." I think people just remember the knockdown and don't remember Condit like pouncing right on him, and he's throwing he's throwing some shots. He he's, throwing, yeah. he's throwing some ground and pound. GSP was defending pretty intelligently, but again, we have seen fights stop for less, I would say. Uh, not oh, championship fights. Oh, championship, sure. championship fights, I would say, it, be, it was a championship fight, like I said. It was in Montreal. Those factors helped. But we've seen like non-championship fights get stopped where someone eats a head kick and the referee is right away is kind of like, okay, I'm just looking for anything to stop this fight. And a little bit of ground and pound is all it takes. But it didn't happen. But this is how close. He really came close to being becoming only the, the third guy to finish GSP, the second guy to finish him, and to do so during the very safe invincible gsp period so that's why i would definitely defend having that one on there but uh uh shaheen i assume you're going with with all wins so well a quick story about the gsp fight for me because that was a very memorable experience were you at uh, that in in my life i wasn't at that okay. i was actually on vacation i was in mm. kuwait oh so i was in i was in kuwait visiting family um it, it was actually right after my my father passed away so we i was at my uncle's house with my brother and the time zones in the Middle East are obviously far different. So it was like the middle of the morning. It was like 4 a.m., something like that, 3 a.m., 4 a.m. We're the only ones up in the house. I, I woke him up, my brother, because I was like, dude, GSP is going to fight Carlos. Like, this is going to be a really good fight. And he was excited for it as well. So we woke up in the middle of the night and we watched this. And when Carlos landed that head kick in the third round, I woke up at least three different people in that <laughs> house with the sound that I, that just like came out of my body. That. <laughs> I couldn't even help. I'm just <laughs> some type of like <laughs> it was like standing on the bed, thinking like there's no way in hell that this is actually going to happen because you're right. It was one way traffic up to that point. Um, super memorable fight, and th- that to me is one of the most agonizing parts of the Carlos Condit story, which was he gets two different shots at the UFC title, and both of them were so agonizingly close. And he gave so much of himself in both of those fights, in particular the Lawler fight, but both of them, 
to winning that, to getting that objective, to, to crossing that off on the career checklist and to come so close twice and then just have it ripped away from you two different times. Like that is, it still hurts me. It I still mean, hurts me. I, there are not a lot of fighters who have come closer to winning an undisputed. Like Alexander Gustafson, maybe. Chael. Like his, Chael the one time though. But yeah. Gustafson yeah. Had, the, sure. had the DC and the Jones fights. True, yeah, he had and two, yeah. And, and they were like, scored differently. And they were scored differently. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it is, it was really tough. That's what hurts. Really tough for Condit. So, but if that's, so, yeah. so that's not on your list. I'm Lawler so obviously not, is. So that's not on my list, but Lawler absolutely is. You can't talk about Carlos Condit without talking about the Robbie Lawler fight. And we've already hit that, so I won't go too much into that. Um, the three others I had, super proud of you, AK, for the Hanato Verissimo pick. Because that was one of my that was actually my first one I picked after the Lawler Man, fight. Like you said, Jim, there you are guys like go. there I'm are so like proud of y'all. six or twelve that you could just throw a dart at this resume and, and it would you could You're not gonna find a bad fight. Four. Well, you, you, I mean, you're gonna find a couple bad fights. Well, not in his real career. Okay. Not yeah. in his real career. <laughs> I don't count anything post Lawler. But the Verissimo one to me was it definitely belongs in there because I've, we've already talked about this Rumble on the Rock tournament a lot, so I don't want to rehash it. But if you just consider the names in this tournament, right? It's six men who either went on to hold the UFC title or challenge for the UFC title: Anderson Silva, Jake Shields, Yushin Okami, Dave Manet, Frank Trigg, Condit. And then Verissimo. <laughs> it's just like, what? that's an absurd group of people that Carlos Condit at that point in his career absolutely did not belong amongst at all. <laughs> Frank Trigg, Frank Trigg had nearly won the title like a year before this in, in the UFC. Like it, this was a very fresh Frank Trigg off of all this. And, for, and Verissimo was the A side to this fight. Everyone thought, you know, hey, this is the coach of BJ Penn. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Like, this, he's fought Matt Hughes. He's fought Carlos Newton. He's beaten Carlos Newton. Like, he's going to be one of the top dogs in this tournament. And Carlos Connick goes out there and, as AK said, just unbelievable violence for 17 seconds. Just knees this dude right in the chest or in the face. Like, it's hard to tell with the angle. And it's just, it's beautiful. It is absolutely gorgeous violence. Uh, and to get it done in 17 seconds again as, as such an underdog, like that to me belongs on the list. That sort of was the first fight that opened everybody's eyes of like, holy shit, like what's going on with this Carlos Condit guy? Um, so that's my second one. My third one, I'm going WEC as well. I felt like it was important to have WC representation. I actually went a different route though. I went the Brock Larson fight, which Jed, you you alluded to that earlier in this show. That's an interesting fight to me because coming into that, I think Brock Larson, I don't remember his record at the time. I think he was like 24 and one. And like, you don't, it's funny to hear it now of like, oh, Brock Larson, he's this big contender. He, like, he was also, you know who that one loss was to? John was Fitch. There like he go. was 24 and John Fitch. There you go. <laughs> that's, like, that's a damn good record. This is the important part of doing things like this because it's, impossible to contextualize history just from looking at a wikipedia page people will look at brock larson and just dismiss it but it's like no brock larson there was a moment in time where brock larson was an actual imposing dude who mattered to a certain degree and going into that carlos Condit fight carlos was already the wc champion and he was the underdog in that fight as well with the brock larson fight brock larson was basically the heir apparent to this title and carlos just goes out there and, and, and subs him in like two in two minutes and it just makes it look easy and it's just, it's unbelievable. It, it's, I think it's 
probably one of the final turning points where people started to stop doubting Carlos, at least to a certain degree. So that's on there as well. And then for me, uh, I wanted some sort of late career representation um, other than the Lawler fight. So, or I guess UFC representation, I should say, other than the Lawler fight. So for me, the Martin Campman rematch that was up on there. That was the next one on my list. That one just <laughs> got bumped by the GSP fight. It is such an unbelievably good fight. Action through and through, nonstop action for four rounds. Low-key banger. Like, no one ever talks about Condit Campman 2 when they talk about their favorite fights. But unbelievable finish, unbelievable fight. Uh, and kind of, if we're being honest, I would say either that or the Tiago Alves one is the last time that we saw really peak Condit in a win. Um, and that, to me, felt important. So that's my fourth one. I I respect them all. I want to throw a couple of shout-outs here for the guys who just missed my list. Uh, one, Campman, Martin Campman, too. That was that was the next one up. Uh, Carlo Prater, they, the rematch in the WEC, mm-hmm. that was the one that I considered instead of the Miura fight. Uh, Miura fight's obviously better, but Prater had a win over Condit, and I remember coming into that fight, that was a big narrative of, okay, well, he beat Brock Larson to get the belt, but now this is... This is the dude that's already tapped him. Like, and he comes and just shows out against Prater. Uh, and then two more. <laughs> One, Tatsunori Tanaka. He fought him in Pancrase. And the reason I think about this fight is because it's the only time I've ever seen Carlos Condit with uh, kicks to the head of a downed opponent legal. And Carlos Condit literally stomps his way to victory. And if you are looking for some casual violence in your life, go find the video of this. It's on YouTube, and it is Carlos Condit stomping a man in the face. And it's that's as violent as that sounds. Uh, and then the last one. Have you guys ever seen him knock out the Special Forces guy? I don't know. I don't think it's so. like the funniest thing in the MMA. Oh, the, like the not a fighter, like the actual yeah, special, like the forces, special guy. forces guy yeah. is incredible. AK, he went and did, I forget where they were. It was like him and Bishop. It was like a USO and, tour. Yeah, or they something. did like that. And they were rolling with him in some special. There's video of some special forces guy being like, oh, you want to spar? And Connit, like, yeah, it's great. And it's like, the guy's like, how hard do you want to go? And Connit, the most badass man in the world, is like, tell you what, you hit me as hard as you want to get hit back. And we'll just go from there. And the dude just clocks him, like sucker punches him real hard. And then Condit, a minute and a half later, knocks him out and through the ropes. It's awesome. And like every, all of his friends, like the special forces guys are cheering it on. It's unbelievable. <laughs> They're all like, yeah. So uh, shout out to that. I can't, believe didn't, I can't believe that it didn't make your top four. <laughs> it's, it, it couldn't because, you know. It just couldn't, but I wanted to mention it because it could. It's, it's, an, it's an incredible MMA uh, other world <laughs> highlight that I just, in case people hadn't seen it or heard about that, I want to expose you to this this aspect of Carlos Condit. <laughs> um, any other ones that y'all that we haven't talked about that y'all had considered throwing in there? I mean, I know I, we we mentioned it. I do want to say I, I almost feel like I I, for, I left out Nick Diaz. I almost feel like I forgot it. I know it's not a super entertaining fight to watch but again, for me, it was very informative as far as I shouldn't say informative, illustrative, excuse me as far as how to judge a modern MMA fight because I remember watching that live and I was a, just a fan at the time and probably wasn't paying super close attention to everything that was happening. I was definitely at a bar watching a bar and I just thought Diaz won. I thought DS won. I was like, I was with my friend uh, and we were like almost like disappointed. You were like, not alone. Right. 
And I, and I was almost disappointed that it wasn't more of like, oh, we thought it'd be this back, oh, natural born killer and Nick Diaz. It's gonna be a back and forth, like, bro, it's gonna be sick, bro. And like, that's how I talked back then. And then it just, obviously it didn't turn out that way. It was a super tactical fight. This was this was a peak Greg Jackson, you know, a Jedi master. Uh, oh, this guy's such a genius thing. And they had the right plan. And, and after watching the fight, I did a robbery review for it. And after watching the fight closely, this is where I started, uh, you know, afterwards, after reading the discourse about it, I, I understood the difference between uh, coming forward and controlling where a fight goes. Because Conant absolutely controlled where that fight went. It, you are not controlling a fight if you're chasing a guy, right? That you are following him. He is literally leading the dance. And there's little things like that. And, and the, the, the precise counter striking. And it was still a close fight. Like, I obviously, I, th- I don't think it's like, oh, clear cut, Conant like killed him. I think anyone who watched that fight will go like, I mean, it was, it was, a, it was I think, a clear win for Condit but not like, oh, he dominated Nick Diaz. I, th- I think that'd be an absurd thing to say. But he definitely won the fight. And and I think for me, that's such a huge... For me, that was a big deal as far as like learning, just becoming more educated as a fan and understanding that uh, coming forward and octagon control and things like that uh, certainly do not dictate a winner. So I have a story about this fight because uh, <laughs> this fight, UFC 143, is actually the first fight, I, the first UFC fight I was ever in attendance for. Oh, uh, This was in... I think January, February 2012. I had, yeah, I just moved to Las Vegas to be a professional gambler. Um, we can talk about that another time. Uh, but yeah, yeah. wait, what? <laughs> we, Bearing the lead here. Talk off air about that. <laughs> so, I didn't know so, that. Yeah. The lead has been buried. That's yeah. So I just moved to Clearly Las Vegas. Clearly didn't work out for you. No, it was actually going very well. Um, but then I decided I was going to be a lawyer. And then that didn't, I decided not to do that after I went to law school. But What a life this guy had. Jeez Louise. Many hats. Uh, <laughs> but the point being, that was the first UFC I'd ever attended. At that point, I'd been a fan for a, I, a number of years, you know, probably close to eight. Um, and huge, super excited about this. And let me tell you, everyone in attendance hated that fight and really hated the outcome. There was... <laughs> There were so many people booing just the whole, like everybody in front of me, because, you know, it's the end of the night. A lot of people had several beverages in them, and they are just going after Condit. And I'm sitting there, and I was, you know, from the bleeders or whatever, I was like, oh, no, man, I kind of think Condit won. <laughs> like, he kicked him in the leg a lot, and Nick Diaz didn't do anything about that. I know it's not the fight we were expecting on paper, but like, it seems fair that he won and almost got in a fight with the guy in front of me who was <laughs> extremely into Nick Diaz as a fighter. So uh, that's my story about UFC 143. Um, Sean, any other fights that you didn't talk about that you feel the need to to speak on here? No, I mean, I think we've hit most of the major ones. I, I will say about Diaz, I made a very conscious decision to leave that off of my list. Um, I do feel as though, and I'm sure we'll get to it in a later category, I do feel as though there is a case to be made where that is the peak of Carlos Condit's career. So that maybe feels weird to omit it from a Mount Rushmore. But to me, I guess it depends on how you view a Mount Rushmore, what that means to you when you hear the phrase of like how you you want to apply it. Because to me, a Mount Rushmore really means the the fights that I would want to go back and watch the most, the most rewatchable fights, the most memorable fights, the most impressive fights. And while that Diaz fight is obviously a, a an important fight for Carlos's career, just when you look at the trophy case, 
and the belt that he won from it. To me, it doesn't apply the rest of the rubric, the criteria that I would sort of lay out there. So, so I made a very conscious decision to leave that off. And I, I don't mm. even think it, even if you give me like a top 10, I don't know that it's it would have made it. Yeah, I, I'm i very much in the same boat. I, I have it in a, or, or tangential to another category. And so let's go to some other categories uh, in honor of arguably the greatest welterweight of all time, George St. Pierre, the I'm not impressed by your performance award. This award is going to go to the fight. Um, it doesn't have to be a fight. It could be any moment where you think uh, that that's not his best, you know, stuff like that. So I think we've got a couple of you know, there are a lot of options from late career content. I don't think you do anything early. But for me, I am leading with the Demi and Maya fight. Uh, it was the one immediately after the Lawler fight. And I think it was clear uh, at that point, at least to me, that that the Condit era had, had ended. After the fight, Condit even said, hey, you know, Demi and Maya, brick-fisted Demi and Maya hurt me with, with a punch on the ground. So that's when I kind of knew okay, this is probably it for Carlos Condit. And so I have another honorable mention that's a very different kind of concept here. But for me, it's the Maya. Uh, Sean, what about you? No, I, I went in the same boat as you on this one. I mean, that was sort of, because again, that was so, that was right after Robbie Lawler. And so, and it, it was, I was going to say it was quickly after, but it wasn't. I mean, it was, that the Lawler was in January, it opened the year, and then this one was in August. So Carlos took a long time off. It felt like he was sort of trying to recharge, get that motivation back up. But again, he was inches away from winning the welterweight title. And then to come in there against Damian Maia, it felt like, hey, if, if he wins this, maybe he can get another shot quickly. And then it's over two minutes later. Uh, that was anticlimactic. And as you said, the way that Carlos sort of handled it afterwards of him just almost admitting to himself, you know, like, hey, like I wasn't in this mentally. Like, I just don't even know if I'm in this anymore generally. That to me was, was the pick. I mean, because you there's a lot here for late career Carlos that we could sort of wade, wade through for like disappointing performances because that's just how it goes in this game when, it, when somebody's at the end of their career. But that was, again, the turning point for me. So I agree with you. Fair. AK, where where are you at? I hated that Damian Maya matchup so much. Uh, I I don't know how much control uh, you know a Condit would have had over his matchups at the time, or even and if he did, whether he should say no to a matchup like that because uh, Maya was very very like, rankings wise. I remember the fight very much made sense. I I don't recall at the UFC. I'm pretty sure they had their own official ranks at the time. Even if they didn't, you know, you look at like Sherdog rankings, whatever popular rankings. You know, this this was pre MMA fighting global rankings. Sadly, the but only rankings that matter. The only ranks that matter, and I believe if we had been taking at the time, I mean Maya and and Conda uh, would have been around in the same race, somewhere you know, somewhere in the top seven, right? So it made sense ranking wise. But boy, stylistically, I mean, we talk about GSP being a bad matchup for him. Damian Maya may be the best you know jujitsu wrestler we've seen. He, you know, he's one of those jujitsu guys who can not only kill you on the ground, he can get you there real fast. This fight went like exactly as all of us I think predicted it would go. Um, Especially like, you know, there's like scenarios where you thought Condit could win, but generally it's like, this is, if they fight 99 out of 100 times, uh, sorry, if they fight 100 times, 99 out of 100, he's getting taken down. He's getting submitted. It was just really depressing to watch. It's just not the kind of fight that coming off the Lawler fight, again, we shouldn't have, I wish we weren't so focused on, oh, how do we get him back into the title picture? How do we keep him in contention? Wish he should have just been given a fun fight after this. I know that's not how the UFC works. Even today, that's not how it works. We don't do that. Guys lose title fights and they're thrown into some dumbass matchup like killer matchup for the very next fight and this is how guys go from unless like you're colby covington 
Unless you're Colby Covington, I guess. Or, or Jorge Masvidal, who who <laughs> got got an immediate rematch. Condit should have just gotten an immediate rematch. Um, yeah, th- that would have been nice too. There was so many better ways to handle this. Uh, Damian Maya promotional malpractice, and if Condit had a choice, he should have said no. I just, I really just wish that fight had not happened. Yeah, but that's that's not who Carl, Carlos Condit isn't the guy who I says know. no is the thing. Fun fact about that fight, uh, I just looked it up. Two total strikes were landed in that fight, one by each man. <laughs> That's, it was Demi Maya took him down and tapped him. It was just not great. I do have an honorable mention. Uh, it's a more you know ephemeral kind of an idea, and and it's Carlos Condit's wrestling because apparently this man has been wrestling since nine years old, and he just what? he just never learned how to do it. Apparently. Is that like, true? That's that's Wikipedia said it, so I'm gonna like that was like the first combat sport he got into was wrestling as a child, and he at the bare minimum he's been wrestling since he was 15 because that's when he started training with Greg Jackson, and he never got good at it, like not even competent. Which is, I mean, we can just talk about it right now. I think he he you talked at the beginning of the show, Sean, about how we're never gonna have a career like his again for a lot of reasons. We're also never going to have a career like his again because I don't know if it's physically possible for a fighter to be bad at wrestling and compete in this time period of of wrestlers. Like he fought in the most wrestling heavy division in the world and couldn't do it at all and still somehow was a hair away from winning a title twice. Twice. Yeah. In, in in today's in today's MMA, he would have been matched up with like Logan Storley in like his like twelfth pro fight or something. You know what I mean? Right, right. God. There's no because because we have such an influx of Division One All Americans, Division yeah. Two champions. There's such an influx, of, and and they, and they all they're all in that lower. Of course, they come up like you know to at least at least three or four fights mm-hmm. in that lower range. At some point, Condit would have ran into one of those guys and, and just cut and grinded and lost the decision. And that and there was just wasn't quite that influx of wrestlers as you said like back then, at least not on the lower levels, right? So. But now, oh yeah. Also, that in the way the the way that top control has evolved throughout the years, like Carlos back in the day, he would get taken down, but he would catch a lot of submissions on the ground. Like the mm-hmm. the Brock Larson fight that I threw on my top, on my Mount Rushmore was a, a submission from the bottom. Like he was very deadly down there. But like, how many times you see in that now these days? Like the way top Never. control has evolved, like no one's fallen for arm bars and triangles on the bottom unless like it's very very random and, and rare to see. So. It's just not a game that would be replicated well or work well, I should say, in this era. Um, he would definitely need to shore up that defensive wrestling because you're right, AK, he would 100% get matched up with a Logan Storley <laughs> or a Sean Brady yeah, or yeah. any of these number of guys. <laughs> the thing is, though, it shouldn't have worked in his era. I still don't understand because it's not like he managed to skirt and avoid wrestlers. Jake Ellenberger is, was, uh, I think, an All-American wrestler in, in college. Jake uh, fell in love with his hands, in fairness. Yeah, sure, but also the man, the man can can crack. Uh, so you know that's fair. But like he, he just, he just lived in a very strange. T- he was so violent. He was just so violent. The rest of it didn't matter. He didn't need to take people to be able to stop a takedown. He was just the most violent man alive. Um, so we're all in agreement on the Impressed by Your Performance Award, though, Damian Maya, um, just because the rest of them all feel like they were after the fact there anyway. Let, let us never speak of it again. Never. Never speak of it again. Next up, uh, the Ivan Menjivar Award. This award is named after uh, El Salvadorian fighter Ivan Menjivar, who 
is has always cracked me up <laughs> that George St. Pierre, his first fight was against Ivan Minjavar. Minjavar would go on to be a bantamweight at various points in time. <laughs> and somehow that was and was like a well-established, well-known guy, fought a bunch of big organizations. And so uh as an homage to him and and being such an odd name in the in the records of or the annals of history name this award so the idea here is who is the weirdest strangest opponent uh that that carlos Conant has ever faced or if you really want to take it to a, a weirder extreme what's the weirdest fight he ever had just performance we're just trying to get weird with it and for me a couple of options but i don't know if you guys even looked into this Do oh you? i got a good one Do i you? got a good one i bet we're in the same i bet we're in the same neighborhood because uh did you know that carlos Condit? Fought Andy Sauer in a kickboxing match. That was one of mine. Yeah, that was one of mine. <laughs> it was not only was it in a kickboxing match, it was Carlos Condit's debut in kickboxing. And he was 19. <laughs> like, for also uh, an extension of that, right after a couple years after, he fought Marcus Davis in kickboxing. And that blows my mind. Like, if you'd asked me before doing this, has Carlos Condit ever fought Marcus Davis? And they're like, no. I would have bet a substantial amount of my my income on that. And the Irish hand grenade and Carlos Condit just kickboxing each other. So those are my weird ones. I think you could make a case for Frank Trigg, but uh what do you what do you got? Do you guys have anybody that I'm missing? Okay. So I so I have a good one. Uh go ahead, Shane. I was looking at this and one particular name caught my eye as I'm looking at this resume. So I did a little Googling. Have you guys ever heard of Tommy Gage? Or Gouge, I'm sorry, Tommy Gouge. No. no. So Tommy Gouge is the second man Carlos Condit ever fought in mixed martial arts. Tommy Gouge, aside from having a name that sounds like the most cliche Bond villain ever, or just like a terrible Street Fighter character in like a, a fighting game or something. Tommy Gouge is 0-10 in his professional record. All finishes, he's been finished in all 10 of those fights. There's also a Tommy Gouge who is the same age as this gentleman from the same state who has face tats galore, who is in prison right now for killing his wife on Valentine's Day. And if you look up Tommy Gouge, you're going to see this gentleman who looks insane. Uh, again, the face tats. I cannot overstate how many face tats he has. But Tommy Gouge in jail currently right now for murdering his wife. On Valentine's Day was a Owen 10 fighter who Carlos Condit fought in his second professional fight. And it is incredibly bizarre to me. Oh, I thought you were going to say it wasn't the same guy. I thought you were, you were saying it was like. So I think it was, it was I mean, it all lines up to be. Okay. Feels okay. Like it's Maybe the it's same not. <laughs> How many Tommy gouges are there in Oklahoma who are 41 or 42 years old? Uh, I'm just saying, but it was could a very be, bizarre one. Could be a lot of them. Um <laughs> This is this is actually the best answer possible because this is the spirit of this award. <laughs> well, is what's give, the weirdest thing that's ever happened? Can, and that can feels we give, right up there. Can we give a shout out to Carlo Prater, who a two a weird kind of two fight feud with Condit, I guess if you want to call it that. He really nice early record for Prater, 14-1-1 to start. Uh, again, beats Condit in their first meeting submission. So no surprise there. Again, not Condit's strength uh, throughout his career. Spencer Fisher beat him. Uh, Melvin Gallard submitted him as well. Again, not the craziest thing, but Carlos Pretty was like pretty a, a good prospect early on. Uh, he loses the rematch, eventually makes it to the UFC, and then has a very strange UFC run. 
Eric Silva, his UFC debut, where he wins because Eric Silva punches him to the back of the head one too many times. This was uh, back when Eric Silva was like a thing too, wasn't he? Eric yeah, Silva and was he, the new hotness. Uh, yeah, this, and was, he, be this was when Eric Silva was going to be the yeah. man. And he legitimately destroyed Prater in like 30 seconds. But like, I can't, it, it was a very bad DQ. It was not like, oh, Eric Silva should have watched his shots. It was like, I think like Prater was going down or, or was, you know, he's moving his head in such a way and Eric Silva's trying to punch him out. And it's like, okay, yeah, he catches him in the back of the head a few times. It was egregious in the moment. Like as it soon was as it very, happened, everybody was outraged. Very bad disqualification. Uh, TJ Grant again, and so and now and now the weirdness starts to spread. Then you have TJ Grant, who of course went on to earn, he loses to him, and then TJ Grant goes on to earn a lightweight title shot that he never gets, and never and we never see him fight again eventually because he has concussions. So that's uh, the, the weirdness spreads, and then he fights uh, Marcus Levesser, who was a prospect once upon a time, loses the unanimous decision to him. This is this is Prater's last UFC fight. Prater uh, Levesser fights one more time after Prater, and then never fights again. So. It's just this weirdness that's spread. I feel like it's if we're talking about weird, it's amazing when you go down this rabbit hole of these name these notable names, um, and that they just go in these bizarre directions. So I'm gonna give some shout out to hashtag Carlos on Carlos because they went in very different directions after I guess their second fight. Uh, you know, so uh, you could even say after their first fight they went in different directions. But uh, yeah, there you go. Carlos Condit won the rights rights to the name. After he did. That, Carlos oh, sorry, can't Carlo had to take the S off it, yeah. Carlo and Carlos. And by the way, uh, Carlo Prater fought as recently as last September. (laughs) Did he really? He's not retired. He is not retired. Good for you. (laughs) He is not retired. There's a lot of red on that record in the last (laughs) nine years. He is not retired. Wow, I did not realize Carlo Prater was still going. He's still fighting. Uh, next category, the Fedor sweater of absolute victory. Uh, this is for the piece of memorabilia. If you could pick one, uh, you know, think Quentin Rampage, Jackson's chain, stuff like that, which was the runner up to the name of this category, but who uh, you can't argue against Fedor sweater of absolute victory. <laughs> um, I want to start with you guys this time because I have a number well, of things here, but let me Eight. go first because I have no idea. I have okay. no, you have <laughs> no this idea. Is, this is the one category that stumped me. Uh, and I, and again, this is our first time doing this, so I'm I'm happy to get just leave it to you guys. I was like I was like his jock strap. I don't know what. <laughs> what? I don't know. Why would that be the first I, one? What, I'm just trying to think what would be some unique piece of memorabilia that you could have. Like I don't know. I don't like. <laughs> At least when it comes to Carl's Con, like a fairly, no, I feel like a no frills kind of guy. Like, I, what do I, what piece of memorabilia do I want from Carl's Con? So I leave it to you guys. Hopefully, I'll have better <laughs> answers in the future if I'm ever invited to the show again. Uh, go, go ahead. Show me how this is done. I don't understand this category. Sean, we you have gotta have twenty better years. Jockstrap. <laughs> we have twenty years of this man in our lives, and you went with jockstrap right out of the gate. That might All be right. my answer next time too. I honestly, I don't understand hey, this category. Make it a bit. I whatever, whatever it. you're into, you're into. I'm not gonna hate. Uh, I, that just surprised me. Um, so for me, I mean, this was a difficult one for me as well. But I think ultimately, with memorabilia, it's a little bit tough because I don't know that Carlos has like a really iconic. Uh, you know, like logo or sort of trademark style that he wore. Like the Anderson has the spider shorts and, and BJ has the belt shorts, those type of things. I don't know if there's anything like that that I associate with Carlos. So for me, I went the bloody trunks from the Lawler fight. Ooh, see, that's a that good one. to me would be a very cool thing. Frame hanging up in the office. Yeah. Any time somebody walked in, be like, hey, you see that? That's from that one time this guy, this legend of the game, got jobbed so damn hard. 
Yeah, but 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 imagine what the jockstrap looked like after that fight, though. I mean, I that's mean, the, the jockstrap with the, the bloody jockstrap. Whoa, whoa, no! You can only pick one. Hold on, you're only picking one. I'm getting the jockstrap, buddy. You can have the shorts. See, this is that's exactly... I need to reignite that rage. I would just look at it and see. <laughs> that's how you do it, AK. That's that's a great oh, okay. answer. I, uh, the two things, three things I have, but two that really jumped out at me. The first is. I just loved the WEC belt. Oh, give me any of his belts. Like, I just thought that was really clean, classic, understated uh, MMA title, which is not like a thing that happens a lot. So uh, I would love one of those. Uh, also, bring back the WEC blue cage. I I don't know where I could fit the blue cage in my office. It might be tough, but like, it was, man, rewatching those fights was like, this is great. This is just a good thing to watch. And the last thing that I kind of, I think the thing that would be most likely is uh, there's maybe nothing that has stuck with me more in the entire history of this sport than that image after the Lawler fight of, of Condit and Lawler just hanging on the cage side by side, absolutely yeah, on the fence spent. Posts, yeah. I think it's to me it's the most iconic thing that this sport has ever produced and just a photo of that image um if if I could find one I would frame it and put it over my desk or like it or, is. or you go a little bigger think a big little bigger darling and get the actual fence post from that side of that octagon from that night if right I mean that's that's actually the best one. See, look, Sean, we're already working our way through things. That's that's perfect. <laughs> if someone is looking for a gift for me for Christmas next year, that side of the fence post where they and I can get two fat heads of them and just recreate the scene in my office, it'll be it'll be great. It'll be the best thing that's ever happened to me. Uh, next category here, we have uh, the international player haters ball. So. We're doing a lot of love, a lot of great things happening, but not everything was good about Condit. We've touched on some of it. This is just to pick, you know, uh, pick apart their career in some ways. Take some shots. If you have shots to take about Carlos Condit's career, you know, anything like that, take them. And for me, we, we've touched on a lot of this already, but the big one, he cannot wrestle Can't like wrestle. at all. And that's Can't a, wrestle. that's a huge problem. <laughs> uh, and that was mine as well. Is it, that is was that mine yours? as well. AK? It's just the, the, the lack of wrestling throughout, and also I think the Nick Diaz fight as well. If we're just doing nitpicks, the Nick Diaz fight as well. Those are the two ones that I could kind of go back to of, well, this didn't exactly go the way that you would want it to. Obviously yeah, you, he won, but you know what I mean. You could yeah. maybe nitpick his his uh you know his ability to sell fights I guess but uh, you know he had such a natural coolness about him and the the, the branding of the natural born killer but yeah if you want to maybe he could have been a more compelling personality than Mike he always came off as kind of a nice guy he's kind of the the uh, pre like Vicente Luque you know what I mean uh, it's it's he's almost good the call pro, great call. yeah pro, proto Luque right it's like super exciting guy we all know it everyone who watches him <laughs> but it's it's just a t he's kind of a tough sell to anyone who's not again a more a more casual viewer. Um, so if you want to nitpick, yeah, maybe he could have been more famous. Maybe, you know, uh, podcasts like this wouldn't be necessary. If there's like one or two good Carlos Condit sound bites, I don't think I can think of, of one. Maybe I'm forgetting a oh, Carlos Condit. Oh, he's got, he's got the best sound bite, uh, which, which I tried to find a way to make this a category. Uh, the worth, he's the one who actually said the misattributed quote to Nick Diaz. Oh, spinning. We're throwing spinning-ish now, oh. huh? Because it's kind of in the post-fight saying, yeah, Nick's in there talking. He's just like, oh, we're throwing spinning-ish now. So technically, Nick Diaz did say it uh, as far as, but in the yeah, fight, but, he didn't the, put the quote out but there. But the, 
the quote Condit that heard it is from yes. Condit. Yeah, okay. Condit brought Fair it in, into the world. So there you so. go. So yeah, the, he he did contribute something on the mic. That's true. But uh, but yeah, he wasn't a big mic guy. However, you that, just we're gonna have to skip ahead to one of these other categories because you just brought up a thing that I've never considered, and it's a a, a Carlos Condit Vicente Luque fight. Um, so. We're going to skip ahead to the Habib Tony Award, which is for a fight that never got to happen that you would like to see. Or you can stretch this out to, you know, fantasy matchmake, Carlos Condit in his prime versus anybody. I think there are, I mean, one, he's one of the greatest action fighters of all time, so there are a million choices here. I didn't even conceive of a Vicente Luque fight until you just mentioned the man's name and now part of my soul weeps that we will never get prime condit versus Vicente Luque because that's just anarchy. Uh, but and there was a window too. There was a Ooh, there was. window in like 2015, 16 range where you could have caught them both and it would have been, it would have been okay. Like it, it's not too late for condit and it's not too early for Vicente. No, he was too busy it's, fighting it's, Damian it's, Maya. <laughs> yeah. We got not, that fight instead. Not great. Uh, so I have a bunch of I have a bunch of contenders here, and tell me tell me where you think. One, Carl, uh, Carl Parisian. Um, that I think that this one. is the one that probably would get slept on the most. But right at that end of the WEC run, Parisian was still one of the top welterweights in the world. It just went hammer and tongs with Nick Diaz. Um, you know that was that was the fight that kind of made Caro uh, to some to some extent. I think that fight would have been awesome at the time. Uh, Paul Daly, they were scheduled, never fought. Can you imagine how that fight would have looked? <laughs> um, Mike Pyle, nobody really thinks about Mike Pyle, but another great action fighter. And then the last one, actually, this is from Condit, uh, when he spoke with Ariel Helwani after he retired. The the fight he the most wish had happened that didn't was against Chris Lytle, who he was scheduled to fight a couple of times, and injuries kind of intervened. So that's kind of my list. I, I think, well, now that I'm thinking Luke, that may be checking me here. But for me, I think Paul Daly is the one that, as I'm thinking about it, would just be the most fun. But I'm I'm willing to hear other options or counter arguments. So, so I had three that popped out immediately as I was sort of looking at this and trying to work through this. One is more of a personal thing. Uh, which is I really wish he would have gotten the Johnny Hendricks rematch. But like I wish he would have gotten the Johnny Hendricks rematch when Johnny was already washed, that type of thing. Because their first fight was spectacular. It was it was it, it's one of the better three round fights you'll ever see if you go back and rewatch it and you're catching them both at the right moment. But then Johnny got washed a little bit earlier than Carlos, and I would have loved for Carlos to be able to come back and get some vengeance <laughs> on that version of Johnny. Because uh, the way that fight settled, also me, I, if Carlos had two more rounds, he's winning that fight against exactly. Johnny. That's where I was going. Was the way that fight played out in real time, like Pride rules, Carlos winning that fight. Uh, that's all I'm saying. Carlos Condon never lost a fight by Pride rules until <laughs> Demi and Maya. As far as I'm concerned, he again, won every submission. Pride rules fight. Hey, hey, and again, that's submission. We're not counting that. <laughs> Agree exactly. Uh, so that was the first one that came to mind. But then the other two were really my favorite two. Uh, Melvin Manhoof. Oh. How did at no point? How at no point did Scary. we get not get Melvin Manhoof you can't versus do Carlos it. Condit? You can't. It's it's the unstoppable force of the immovable object. Melvin Manhoof knocked out Mark Hunt, which to this day remains one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, because like 
I just didn't know that it was possible for a functional middleweight to knock out Mark Hunt or for anyone to mark out knock out. Melvin Mark fought Hunt. at welterweight too. Like there, I, there was that would have been the most spectacular explosion of violence for however long that lasted, and it oh, would have just would been, been great. Utterly Melvin, spectacular. Like that's he, strike force matchmaking right there. Like if Carlos never, was ever in strike force, he never fought for made. the. He's he's never fought for the UFC, right? Melvin, no. no. That's a shame. No. That is very a weird. Shame. Very weird little uh, career. He's fought Melvin's for. Had. He's fought for everybody. Well, Literally, we're going to talk about there. another guy who's going to make it uh, into hey, this year Hall of Fame. Oh, I was going to say, Melvin when we're Manhoof. on like episode 76 and running out of out of fighters to do, I'm really excited for the Melvin Manhoof episode. Like, oh, he's coming in way earlier. That man is action all day. Uh, and then the last one for me, and this will probably be my winner, actually, of, of all of it, is Anderson Silva. Because there was a moment where it could have happened. Could've Anderson happened. Silva was in that rumble in the tournament. Rock. Anderson Silva wins against Yushin Okami, but doesn't actually win because he gets DQ'd. <laughs> Anderson Silva would have then gone on to fight Jake Shields in the semis. If he beats Jake Shields, it's Carlos versus Anderson oh in the finals. Before we know either Carlos of them. Condit? Just... Before we know either of them. like That's pre-UFC Silva. That's pre-UFC Condit. Like, that would have just been such a crazy point in time to look oh. back on right now and be like, dude, young Carlos fought young Anderson. Let's go watch that fight on YouTube. Like, I wish that existed. So that's my win. I love that answer. AK, can you beat it? I got. I'm amazed we had like no overlap here. So one of them. Well, when Shaheen started his answer and said rematch, I thought Lawler too. I thought that's like the lock. I thought like that's the that's the one we all wanted to see. If we're going outside the parameters of like a fight, you're not wrong. Yeah, we all want to see that one again, right? Like what it what it and what what a shame that again we're talking about the the later stages of his career that it never. This was this came up a lot on uh, Mike and I, our matchmaking show, onto the next one. This came up a lot. Everyone's just saying, can they just book Condon Lawler again? I, we, I mean, obviously, they're both past their best before date, but it'd still be a great, like, three-rounder or even a, a fight night main event. Like, it'd been so much fun to watch. Just just, just to have the feeling like uh, Carlos Condon would have a chance to get that one back. I know it's not the same thing, but it's a shame it didn't happen. The other one is just weirdly specific. Uh, I don't think it's anyone's dreams fight, but... I have this thing, like, I keep thinking this fight happened and it didn't. Uh, him and Tim Means, they're both uh, New Mexico guys. It's never even been booked. I don't know why. In my mind, I swear I thought it had been booked. It had, like, fallen through. Has never been booked. I think they've probably trained together. I know they're not friends because they have talked about potentially fighting each other before. But this is the fact that they're both from the same area. Like, how do they not fight? I know they're kind of different ages, but they didn't fight before the UFC. Uh, I, it somehow never made sense to match him up during this like weird losing streak. Event. And this is another one that came up on our matchmaking show a lot. I always assumed him and Tim Means were going to fight at some point. Uh, somehow that one just didn't materialize, despite, again, being from the same area, same style, same weight class forever. So that to me was, a, was just a strange one that I would assume would have happened. And I bet if you ask a lot of people, there's like a Mandela effect that they fought. And um, it, so least they just never fought. I know why they didn't fight. There's actually a reason. Um, and it's because we talked about Carlos Condit, natural born killer is a perfect nickname. Tim, the dirty bird means no man has ever looked more like a dirty bird than Tim yes. means. <laughs> yes. And you can't put a man as handsome as Carlos Condit on a poster against Tim means it's, it's unfair to Tim means. And so that UFC <laughs> could just never book that fight wow. because he's just far too handsome to, to fight the dirty bird. Wow. Tim means is not come on. Tim means if you're out there, you're not a bad looking guy. All right. I mean, you chose the name Dirty Stop Bird. It. I did not. <laughs> um, uh, we'll cut. We'll go on uh, to to the next category here. 
the Phil Baroni, I'm the best ever award. Uh, what is really simple? What it, What's the peak of Condit's career? I, I have my exact, I, I no question for me, there's one very right answer, but I would love to hear you guys argue if, if you have different ones. So I want you to lead off in case you're wrong. AK, we'll start with you. I, I mean, I think we kind of discussed it earlier. I, I think the Hardy Kim Diaz run uh, before GSP. I mean, that that was like the one that answered all the doubts that this guy is a world champion level fighter. You could throw the Rory fight in there in Juwan, but like we said, I think if you'll watch the Rory fight of anything, that looked like for the longest time, like, oh, this guy is not, <laughs> this guy is not a UFC a champion level fighter. And then he gets the finish. Um, I said, by the way, oh, that's another rematch, a weird one that we never got, but was always talked mm -hmm. about. And then the Dan Hardy, yeah, you know, you could argue it could have gone either way. And then, you know, we had the Rocky, the ending of Rocky frozen moment where they both throw the punch simultaneously and Conda just happened to land. <laughs> but like you said, hey, that was a great knockout, whatever. Uh, hey, maybe Hardy would have knocked him out if things had been a fraction of Impossible. an angle or so, <laughs> Yeah, true. Hey, he was never actually knocked, zero knockout losses outside of the injury, right? And then uh, uh, Dong, Dong Hyun Kim, you want to talk about beating a wrestler? I mean, Donnie Kim was an amazing grappler. Speaking of which, how has that knockout not been mentioned once on this I know, podcast? It's, that it's knockout so is it's so sick. Fucking insane. <laughs> I was I was so shocked cool. it didn't make the Mount Rushmore of, I know. of somebody, which As really is a testament to Condit's the the his oeuvre, you know? Yes, that, the and burst that of violence in <laughs> those few seconds of that sequence is just unreal. And listen, that guy's a wrestler. That guy's a wrestler. He beat a wrestler. I'm not saying he didn't he didn't outgrapple him, but he beat a wrestler. And then the Nick Diaz fight, the controversial Nick Diaz fight. So that that whole run uh, up until GSP, I think, hey, he he is he will go down as a UFC champion. Not undisputed, not undisputed. But he he's an interim title holder. You can't take that away. He's got a big shiny belt in a in a trophy case somewhere. Yeah, I, I think that's the obvious answer. Uh, so maybe too obvious. I don't know what you guys are thinking, Sean. Yeah, I mean, I think I have to side with AK here. That feels like the right answer. I, I think you could certainly make a case for the two-fight run in 2015-16 where he crushes Tiago Alves with with a fury and then, you know, the Robbie Lawler fight right afterwards. I think there's a case to be made there, but obviously he lost that fight ultimately. So for me, I did default to that three-fight run, the Dan Hardy, Dong Young Kim, Stung Gun Kim, and then Nick Diaz. Just He wins the, he wins the interim title. It's kind of the real title at that point because GSP, we didn't know how long he was going to be out. Like, how GSP dare you? Obviously, still held the belt, but I mean, then going into even to the George fight, we as we said, gave George the biggest scare that he had at that point in his career, uh, or at least in that particular title run. So for me, it was that three fights: uh, Hardy, Stun Gum, and then Nick Diaz. I think you guys are mostly right. Whereas that's that's going up the mountain, but the very tippy top, the peak, the absolute zenith of his career was when his shin hit George St. Pierre's head. And there was a 90-second window where he was going to be the undisputed best fighter alive. Because, Sean, you talked about it earlier. I remember watching that fight. I remember losing my mind thinking that he had somehow done it. The, the most improbable thing in the world, as far as I was concerned, it happened. There's never been a moment beyond that where I... That was it. I was like, oh my, he's done it. He's he's Matt Sarah, George St. Pierre. And it was awesome. That to me is his peak right there. Uh Rab, we only have a couple more because we've been taking some time here. Uh alternate universe award. So kind of just what are the biggest what ifs here? We've touched on some of these. For me, the the biggest one there, it's really a twofold. It's the same thing. It's what if GSP stayed down at, or, and or what if the judges didn't suck 
with the Robbie Lawler fight Money. because that's it. Those, those AK, I know you think that it's not a robbery. The fact that he lost is a robbery. If you want to give Robbie Lawler a draw for that fifth round, I think it's wrong, but I accept it. But Robbie Lawler did not win that fight. He at best kept it even. It's money. That's it's those two. It has to be those two because those two points in Carlos's career are the two biggest crossroads. Where if either one of them goes the other way, I think he's looked at in such a so different, different regard by so many different people who weren't around for all of this. I have one weird one. Is it uh, what I guess if he it, could wrestle? Because that's my other one. Yeah, that's pretty broad. Uh, and this, this I don't know. This probably just ends up being a road like a road bump in both guys' careers. But what if he hadn't gotten injured against Woodley? I do wonder, because I certainly had picked him to beat Woodley. Um, and credit to Woodley. Woodley, you know, it was a freak injury, but he did kind of, it was off a Woodley, like, takedown attempt and or, or off, you know, he caught, like, a leg kick, something like that. So it's not like it was completely freakish. Woodley certainly took credit for it after, you know, I, I know he, he when when he was asked about that fight, he's kind of like, hey, look, I I'm, I, I pushed the pace and whatever, whatever, and uh, I, I took him down. He went down. He got hurt while he was going down. And, and that's more than fair. But I do wonder how much an injury like that uh, again, just sort of affects uh, his overall arc after. I mean, yeah, the Robbie Lawler fight was after that. Tiago Alves. There's still many great times. Woodley, even if he loses that fight, probably still goes on to become uh, to fight for a title. I mean, I, I don't think a loss to Carlos Condit like derails him, but it does. It is this kind of forgotten moment in both guys' careers. Uh, the, Very that much. Would, yeah, that Woodley beat him, and it was an injury, and that's another one I would have uh, liked to have seen run back someday, but uh, obviously uh, that, that wasn't to be. So, yeah, that's a weird one for me. I always wondered if they just managed to go the three rounds, if, if Condit would have been able to, to win a decision or just finish him, and um, how you know how that would affect both guys going forward. But, you know, maybe, maybe just a minor hurdle there. Yeah, I think ultimately Woodley probably gets back, right, just because he was so dominant for his little stretch, but mm-hmm. it's a great, great point. Very sliding doors moment. Uh We've we've hinted at this a lot. Uh, the Keith Jardine Award for what actor should play this handsome man in a in a life story? I it took me a while to come up with one here. I have two, but one is really the one that I think, and it's it's another very handsome man, rugged, cowboy esque. Give me Scott Eastwood to play Carlos Condit in the Carlos Condit story. Wow. Okay. Wow. Go dip into the Fast and Furious well, my friend. Everyone's in the Fast and the Furious universe. Yeah, this is Carlos true. Condit might actually be in the Fast and the Furious universe. Uh, we know Francis Ngannou. Francis Ngannou is. Ronda Rousey. Gina Carano. Uh, do y'all have anyone uh, that you think should play Carlos Condit in the in I, his life story? I went like these weird deep cuts because yeah, it's 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 funny. First of all, it kind of depends what part, of how much of your life you're he's, you're, you're telling, right? Because sure. that's a pretty long career. So I guess you want to get someone in their late twenties, early thirties, unless you're going to go with two actors. You have someone playing like a younger car. So you need some. It's hard, it's, but it's Hollywood. You know, you can you can. So I went with young. I went young, and then if you're going to go all the way up to sort of the later part of his career, but I guess um. The GSP fight in the DS. He was still in his late 20s. He wasn't even 30 yet, right? I'm like 28, 29 years old. Yeah, he's like 37 Okay, now. so you can get a young he's, 20. So he's I a young some, man. So anyone listening, go to your Google machines. You're going to have to look some of these names up probably, but you would recognize these faces. I'm going I'm going with some British actors. I'm going for the transformation. I'm going for like the Oscar hunting. Like I put on 20 pounds to play this role okay. kind of guy. I went, I, I got I got a jujitsu, you know, belt. I got my purple belt or, <laughs> or a blue belt, a white belt and jujitsu, whatever. So, uh... This is going to sound crazy. Okay, the kid who played Tommen Baratheon in okay. Game of Thrones. And okay. he was, in, uh, he was wow. in 1917 as well. This kid named Dean Charles Chapman. I feel like he's got some baby fat, but I think you get him in the gym 
he can kind of grow into the role. He's like, he's in his early 20s. Finn Whitehead is another English actor. He was in Dunkirk. And, oh, uh, that's not... Uh, he looks a little English, but that's not a sure. bad... Bandersnatch. He was the Bandersnatch guy. Yeah. If you guys saw that, the uh, the Black Mirror Bandersnatch kid. So I like him. I, again, good. I just want to see like these these British actors take this stuff really seriously. They would transform. And then there's some 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 kid named Owen Teague, who was an episode of another episode of Black Mirror called Archangel. I'm a big Black Mirror fan. So uh, uh, I, I should have did more of the Fast and Furious. Well, so it's, it's I knew you good, would be great at this category. AK, I don't know. The, I wish I'd come up with something with more the depth obvious. Of I don't know. You watch. I wish I'd come up with something more obvious, but. Sean, I so, bet you don't have as deep a cut as AK did. I had to go deep. Well, yeah. I mean, he went completely off the board, but I feel like <laughs> yeah. I have the right one, if I'm okay. being honest. Okay. So you sent me over the rubric for all of this. My <laughs> knee-jerk reaction when I saw this category was Keanu Reeves. But I don't know that that matches up in a way that I You're like it. You're not wrong. Like, he, and he can that fight. Feels, he can fight. Yeah, like that feels like it's arts. okay. My only, my only concern is that Keanu Reeves is like, 20 years older he's, than Carlos. Yeah, Carlos. yeah. He's, he's I mean, his, I'm getting like, like young right Keanu. Now. Sure, sure. But Dreamcasting. Yeah, Dreamcasting. I was thinking about it, and I actually think I have a better answer than Keanu Reeves. Oh, okay. The man who starred as the best Punisher we've ever had, John Bernthal. John wow. Bernthal would be a tremendous Carlos Condit. He's gritty. He's, he's so got bad. that. He's got the voice. He's got the attitude. Looks tough. Like I think that's that might be my pick. I love John. Also, Bernthal. I love he's that so Punisher good. series. Yes, and John Bernthal's a great. He's great in everything. He's he's one of those guys. He's a he's a he's a ceiling raiser. You put him in a movie or a show, he just he just he's, makes it. better. He's fantastic. He he always makes it better. Yeah, he's My definitely own, not bad. That's not a you bad. Know, I think I think young Keanu is actually probably the best. Oh yeah, that's ever. ideal if you get to get a time machine. But you know what's funny is I I think Carl's Khan is better looking than John Bernthal. Oh yeah, for sure. Only, is. I think that's the only issue. <laughs> sure, John, John Bernthal's a good looking uh, man. John Murthal looks more rugged than Carlos Condit. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's very, but no, Burnthal is certainly not a bad choice. Um, I like he's so good. It's a uh, well done voice. I knew I knew I could count on you guys. If I could Hollywood, bring into Hollywood, this game. call us. We got options. We've only got two left. This one, this is the award I had the most difficult time with. It is the Cole Conrad career change. Cole Conrad, famously Bellator heavyweight, who decided to go sell milk instead of be a professional fighter. Um, Always a wise choice when you can make it. If you can sell milk instead of be a professional fighter, you should sell that milk. So what, if Carlos Condit was not a fighter, what would he do? This is the one I struggled the most with uh, because he's, he, nothing just jumped out at me. The The thing I settled on is he currently owns and operates a, like a coffee shop. Uh, and I, yes. as I thought more about it, it kind of fit him because like... I've never met a barista who's like mad and Carlos Condit has always been the most even keeled level dude mm -hmm. outside of the cage. He obviously turns into the natural born killer inside, but even when he was fighting, it's not like he fought angry. He, he just fought like the idea of, of not doing something was like hurt his soul, but he didn't fight. Like he didn't throw everything into his punches. So that sort of fits for me, but I, I am, happy if you guys can can sell me on something a little better here i kind of AK, i kind of went along yeah i kind of went along those same lines uh but i took it a step further i took it a step further i don't think he would be just a simple barista 
I was watching as I, you know, like I said, I studied Shaheen's article, and I also watched a lovely video done by it's a uh, great, e. great video. Yes, yeah, so E. Casey Lydon and uh, Esther Lynn. Uh, Breakfast, Breakfast with Carlos Kind. If you will, that's on YouTube. Please look that up if you haven't seen it. It's a wonderful. It's like ten minutes long, 10, 12 minutes long. Such a, such a wonderful video. And yeah, he talks about his coffee, his growing coffee business, and all that. But you kind of get a good sense of his demeanor. And I feel like if he had to. I know he's a humble guy, and I know before I was saying, like, oh, he doesn't have, like, the best mic skills. But it's not like he's – if you just see him doing interviews in, like, an intimate setting, like, he's a he's a pretty charming, like, likable guy. I think he could be a celebrity chef. I think he could be a celebrity chef, not in, like, the Gordon Ramsay loud, boisterous way and not in the – I don't know how you even describe him – Guy Fieri way. But, like, a – you know, just – he would still have to have some sort of background as a fighter. You know, he would be known as, like, the martial artist uh, – uh, a celebrity chef guy didn't isn't Dustin Poirier like trying to make a show about cooking? I, I think yes. so. So, yeah. so I'm saying, and, and I, I think Carlos Condit could have beaten him to it in this alternate reality where he, for some reason, he's not. He a is fighter. more handsome than Poirier, who's not an ugly man. He would have his own show on the Food Network, and it would be called The Natural Born Griller. Nice. I I knew exactly where and you yeah, were going. Yeah, I knew where that pun was going to go, and I'm happy it, but, you went there. But yeah, you you dunked it. Way to go. Uh, I don't hate it. You know, I would really like to see NBK on like chopped. Do a NBG, thing. NBG, not NBG. Will yeah, that competitiveness come out? Yeah, yeah exactly. Out. Exactly. Paige Van Zant went on chopped. We can't get NBK. She on She won. There. She won. She won. Get him on Cutthroat Kitchen. Uh, so I like the barista idea. Um, that's probably the leader of my clubhouse right now. I struggled a lot with this one, but for some reason, I just kept coming back to this one idea. And I don't know if it makes any sense outside of just within my own head. But to me, I could really see Carlos being sort of a. Uh, this might be a movie that's too old for like some of our viewership, but like I could really see him being like a Peter Gibbons from Office Space, where he's just like kind of in this nine to five job doing this same thing every day, working on these TPS reports, hating it, hating life crushing pads at night to get his aggression out and then just wishing that you know just like he smashes up the fax machine doing that type of thing to get some aggression out uh and just sort of walking through life really just like god i wish i had some kind of outlet for all of this like i could see something like that I, if, only, if only someone would mix the martial arts <laughs> sean i love that answer because my the first thing before i also watched the the video with with our own ek slide and esther the first thing i had was just like I don't know, like a banker. He seems like he could, <laughs> he could just be like a banker. He's a normal who's guy. Be like a normal like, guy in an office. Yeah. Um, so I totally get that vibe. And apparently he like, that seems right. Because he, he talked about that in that video about how he was doing like medical device sales. Like while he was still a UFC fighter. So I'm in. I That might actually be the right answer. But how do you say no to, to natural born griller? That's... Still That's possible. just money. That's it's good. It's still somebody, very possible. Somebody call Carlos's people and let him know that we've got an idea. All right, boys. We are at the end. Time to close it down. Wow. Final category. And it's really simple. It's it's the legacy. What what does Carlos Condit mean to you? What is what is kind of the thing that you think about when you think about Carlos Condit? Sean, we'll start with you. Sure. I mean, I think a lot of this we've hit on just throughout this this episode. But to me, I mean, this is going back to what I said at the very beginning, which is just to me, he he feels like he belongs to a moment in time that isn't coming back, something that will never be replicated just generally across sports, like whatever that early era of MMA 
It was so different. It was so unique to anything else that had ever happened. And it was such its own thing. It was, it was the wild, wild west. It was cowboy town. And Carlos Condit fit so perfectly into that mold, into that era, into that whatever that aesthetic is, just everything about it. Um, all violence, first teamer, as I said at the top. And just also, like, we haven't talked a lot about this at all throughout the show, but just like a genuinely good dude. Just like one of the nicest guys in the sport. Nobody has a bad thing to say about him. Yeah. You Nobody. will not find anybody in the sport outside of maybe Nick Diaz who has bad <laughs> words to say about this man. Like even George, George St. Pierre, whenever you ask him about his greatest fights, things like that, he will always bring up Carlos either first or second because he just has such immense respect for him. And to me, that that is what it, Carlos represents. He's one of the greatest welterweights to ever do this sport. And he just, I don't think he would be on a lot of people's lists if they put together a top five welterweights or things like that, but he certainly belongs there. And again, I think this is, MMA is so bad at remembering its history and, and celebrating its history. It's such a, what have you done for me lately sport? New generations of fans come every couple of years and it resets all over again. Carlos Condit is one of a kind. Uh, and to me, he's one of the just most fun fighters to ever watch. You could throw on any random Carlos Condit fight and you have a 90% chance of just turning it on an absolute banger. And that, to me, like that is all it takes to, to have a successful career in my eyes in this sport. AK. I mean, that's perfectly summed up. I'll, I'll just add, listen, this guy, one half of what I think the greatest fight in MMA history, uh, one half of the greatest image in MMA history, one that will hopefully be hang up on your wall someday, Jed Mishu, some frames. Him and Robbie just hanging on that fence is, I mean, look, we, we're, we're I, I don't, you know, we work in the industry. I don't think we're so jaded that we don't feel things when we watch MMA anymore, but there's so many cards we watch. I don't even, I can't even say how many fights we have to, we watch every year as part of our job. Uh, hundreds, right? Literally hundreds. And if you were growing up and someone said you were, you know, watching fights for a living and and, and eventually would become sort of numb to <laughs> two human beings fighting each other, you'd think that's insane. But to some degree, that's, that's where we are just because it's, you know, oversaturation and, and uh, just being around for too long. That moment when it happened is... If you didn't feel something, not even as a fight fan, if you, I think if you just watch sports, if you, you don't have to be a sports fan. I think if you witnessed the last round, any part of that fight, and you saw that scene, you would feel something. I don't know, maybe something good, something bad, but to 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 know that two human beings could actually do that, and and it's the cliche, leave it all in there. No one has ever, no two fighters have ever left it all more in there than uh, Carlos Condit and Robbie Lawler, and. Uh, so much of this uh, this show that we did just now was talking about like his defeats, but man, in, in defeat, I don't know if anyone has been more glorious than than Carlos Condit. And those defeats don't define him, but to, to have these incredible successes and incredible highlights, and have your defeats <laughs> just be some of the best moments in our history, uh, I mean that's special. And I don't know, if, I don't know who else can say that. Yeah, man, you guys have both nailed it. The to me, the first the the big thing I think about is is that fight with Robbie Lawler. It's my favorite fight of all time. And you said, AK, you said something that was really great about leaving it all in there. And the, the truth is they left more they left more than anyone has ever left in a fight. They left we Jointly, talk about that like we, yeah, together. We, exactly. We talk about that cliche all the time, but they they left pieces of themselves. And you can see it in the aftermath. No neither man was the same after that fight. And it's it's like the the biggest boxing fights in history. It's 
it is like Frazier Ali three, you know, like they neither man was willing to give an inch and they both lost something really valuable, you know, frankly to their lives, but gave us something even more valuable. It's, it is the, the fight by which all other fights are judged to me, like any other fight, you know, Sean, we were at, uh, Israel Adesanya versus Kelvin Gaslam. And that fight is probably, you know, my top five fights of all time. And watching that cage side was unbelievable. Right and, after Poirier Hall. Right. Yeah. Same but also thing. an incredible fight. Um, it was, but even afterwards, after watching that fight, I was like, that is, I don't feel these feelings a lot. And it still wasn't, it still just wasn't quite there to, to what Lawler and Condit gave us. And so for me, that's, that's the big one. And then Sean, I think the other thing that we didn't talk enough on this podcast about was just how great a guy he was. Nobody says a bad thing at universally respected outside of as an individual, but as a competitor, I mean, when George St. Pierre did his Hall of Fame speech, he said the one of the moments, if maybe it was the moment that he was most proud of, was that he overcame, you know, he he overcame the head kick from Condit. Like that was that's the moment he looks back as the thing that is the most proud to him, the greatest fighter of all time. And when the goat is is saying that about you, you did something damn right in your career. And so that's it for me. It it's yeah. it it's the respect he gained. Uh, from from his peers and it's it's that fight against Robbie Lawler it's it's everything you want in this sport it is the reason I wanted to do a podcast like this in the first place and I'm really excited uh, that we got to do it and that you boys were along for the ride so uh, I've had a lot of fun gentlemen I've enjoyed this a great deal one quick addendum to what you're saying because I I think everything you said about Lawler Condit and everything we've said over the last couple hours Right on the money, just in terms of importance and value and all that. But in terms of how much they left in the cage of themselves for that fight, if you, I was doing some quick math in my head, so my math could be off. So don't hold me to this. But if you combine uh, their records prior to that fight, neither man had been finished for a combined 15 years, and both lost in two minutes in the following fight right after that. And that to me says it all of just what a life-changing, career-changing, momentous fight that was for both guys. And again, everything you said applies. Yeah, man. Like that's if they had both retired after that fight, I don't think anybody would have blinked an eye and been like, "Yeah, that makes sense." And it's that's that's why for me, and until we see something else, like I don't know what it will take, but that's always going to be my top fight of all time. And uh, you know, it's it, it it's worthy of that if nothing else. So, boys, I have had a wonderful time uh, with you guys. Thank you for for coming along on this ride. Uh, Thank you all for listening to the inaugural episode of this podcast. And we will be back very soon with our next one. So until then, for Sean, for AK, for myself, have a good one.
You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. With the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to 1500 bucks if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus. Bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic.